0: We are combined this morning for our equip seminar. We have Noel Whitlock with us from the College Church of Christ in Searcy, Arkansas. Noel did a great job last night as we knew he would and we are thankful that he is with us to spend the day with us speaking to us on the topic of our one word series. So he's going to be talking about love and forgiveness and uh, some of the words that we have coming up in our series. Um, just a few things as a way of reminder, after our Bible class this morning, uh, we will have our worship at 10 as normal. During the sermon, Noel will be preaching to us um, again. We will have lunch, and we hope that you will stay for that and be with us for that. And then after lunch, between 1 and 1.30, I'm sorry I can't give you a better time than that, but we're going we're gonna to get done, finish up with lunch, and then come back in here and Noel says he's going to give a shorter lesson because he knows everybody's going to be tired and and uh, from eating lunch, but uh, I know he can keep our attention, so that won't be a problem. But he's going to give another lesson, and then we'll be done for the day. So there is no evening service. Uh, the 1 to one thirty service will take that place. Again, we've learned in years past that when you set a time for the afternoon service, sometimes people get done and it's uh, some dead time. And so we'll try to come in here as soon as we get done eating as possible. So if you're, if you're leaving and not eating lunch with us, if you're back by 1 or so, you're going to be fine. And uh, in that time frame of 1 to 1.30, we'll be back in here for, for our service. Um, Noel is gracious enough to be with us. He's been at College Church of Christ for about 12 and a half years. Um, wonderful wife, Lale and two beautiful daughters. We thank him for being here this morning, and now know we're gonna turn it over to you.
1: Thank you, Chris.
0: We were talking last night.
1: I think I was on, it was a Wednesday evening. I was at Oldham Lane about five years ago. Y'all, I think you had just started to renovate the um, auditorium area or something like that. There was a part of the building I couldn't go into because you'd done some uh, construction. So I'm thinking it's about five years ago or whatever that I've been here once before. And I was telling some folks last night that I get invited to speak to a lot of churches. I seldom get invited back. So this is a real treat uh, for me to get to come to Oldham Lane again. And Chris has become a dear friend of mine over the years. And it's good to spend some time with him and with many of you. And there's several in this congregation that I have known and... um, uh, It's good to see you again, but I thank you for the very kind invitation to be a part of this weekend with you. It was about four years ago, I was in the hospital. I went into cardiac arrest on March 30th of 2014, and so they rushed me to the Arkansas Heart Hospital where three days later I had bypass surgery. So I spent about a week in the hospital there at Arkansas Heart Hospital and when i came out of surgery especially i had no appetite at all and yet they tried to force me to eat because part of the healing process that one of the really important components to getting strong and healthy again is nourishment and food they were trying to counsel me some of the nurses on what foods to order from the cafeteria, especially for breakfast. And one of the nurses told me, when you order breakfast, don't order the eggs. Order the omelets, because they use real eggs. About that time, a male nurse walked in the door, and she looked at him, and she said, isn't that right? don't order the eggs, and I'll never forget his response. He said, yes, those eggs have never seen a chicken. (laughs) I know, and those of you who have spent any time in a hospital, I know that hospital food can sometimes be notoriously bad. And that kind of makes no sense when you think about how important food is to the The recovery after surgery or a lengthy illness. Well, there is one hospital in Ottawa, Canada, who is trying to go the second mile to make their food, which is already nourishing, I'm sure, but to make it more appealing and more tasty. And in the summer of 2016, in an unusual display of leadership, I think, The management of the Ottawa General Hospital made a decision that everyone in management was going to spend a week eating nothing but hospital food, morning, noon, and night. For a week, they ate three squares a day of their own hospital food. After a week, it was unanimous the food needed to change. And the CEO, Jack Kitts, responded to a woman's very kind letter about the hospital food. And here's what he said. Thank you for raising your concerns with me. Our management team has recently eaten hospital food for a week and agrees with your observation that we need to improve the presentation and taste. And so they started the process of revitalizing and modernizing their menu. And they got rid of the old staple of chicken a la king. And all the stewed kinds of uh, meals. And they provided more salads and different varieties of salad. and, And they just expanded their menu to be more like the kinds of food that any one of us would want to eat. And the truth is... When it comes to feeling compassion for other people, every one of us tends to have a little bit of a blind spot when it comes to feeling what other people might feel. And the cure to that is to get out of your comfort zone, to get what out of what makes you feel nice and secure and to try to put yourself in the place of another person so that you can not only sympathize with them, you can empathize with them. That's exactly what Jesus means in that golden rule. What is it that you want people to do for you, that is exactly what you should do for them. Maybe put in, in a different way with the illustration I just used, what kind of food do you want to eat? then that's the kind of food that you want to serve others. How do you want to be treated? That's how you treat others. We have a ministry back at College Church in Circe called Monday Night Caring and Sharing. We have approximately 30 to 40 people that volunteer on a weekly basis to be a part of that Monday night ministry. There's a crew that cooks all afternoon and then there's others that serve in the evening there's some that provide bible classes and one-on-one studies and it's, it's a big team of people and we will have on average anywhere from 125 to 150 people from the community that come and eat at our building on monday nights and i'm telling you it is a meal that i would be proud to sit my family down to to eat They made a decision a long time ago that if they're going to do this, they're going to provide the same kind of meal that any one of us would want to eat. It is a home-cooked meal, and it's a wonderful ministry, and it is bringing many people to Christ, but the, the point is that when we show our concern for others, when we show our love for others, love is not a feeling it's not just how we feel about other people love is a verb love as it is biblically defined is action if you're going to love people the way jesus calls us to love them you will have to burn calories doing it it's not a feeling it's an action turn to first john chapter three And I'm going to let the Apostle John biblically define what real love that we are to show to others, what it looks like. And the first thing I would let let you know is, look at verse 11. Love is an essential element of the Christian walk. This is not optional. This is imperative. It is essential if you are going to be a follower of Jesus Christ. He says, for this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. It's impossible to be a true disciple of Jesus Christ and not love. I will tell you, it is possible to be a Christian and not love. There's a lot of people who say, I'm a Christian. There's a lot of people who say, I am a believer in Jesus Christ that can see the needs of other people and walk right on by. But a disciple cannot. A follower of Jesus Christ cannot walk by the needs and the hurts of other people And do nothing. And I know that we're concerned about a lot of things. In church, we're concerned about doctrine and preaching and teaching the right doctrine. We're concerned about knowledge of biblical truth and the understanding of truth. We're concerned about holiness and right living and worship to God that is acceptable. We're concerned about a lot of things that are important and rightfully so. But are we equally concerned? About showing love to one another, as well as love to those in our community. Because being a disciple, a true disciple of Jesus Christ, means that your love for other people goes hand in hand with your faith. Without love for one another, you cannot be a disciple of Jesus Christ. Because we know that God loves all of us. And he has commanded all of us to love one another and to love people. Why is it so difficult to love some people? Let's be honest, that's a true statement. There are some people in my life that are very easy for me to love. My wife, my family, some of my closest friends. But I will tell you, there's others I have to work extremely hard to treat them right. And to love them. They're more difficult to love. And I know that there's people in the world that look at me and think that way of me. I'm difficult to love, at least at times. Why is that? Why is it that some people for us are... It's just very difficult to love them the way we should. John tells you in verse 12. It's, a, it's an unusual verse. But look what he says. He uses the example of Cain. Remember Cain and Abel? That first those first kids in the garden, we should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. And we know the story. They both offered sacrifices to God. And God accepted Abel's sacrifice but rejected Cain's. And the countenance of Cain... Fell, he grew angry with his brother, angry enough that he took his own brother's life. And what John is showing us here is that we all have to deal with the duality of our nature. The good side and the bad side. Every one of us has a good guy and a bad guy at work. And and it's battling inside of all of us. Peter calls this, it's a war that's raging inside of all of us. To be led by the Spirit of God or to be led by all of the desires of this world and our flesh. Well, that's what's going on is this duality of natures. And Cain let it get out of control that he grew jealous and angry and bitter against his brother. And John says, since the beginning, since day one, the message has never changed. Love one another. Love one another. There isn't a day of the week that that is not in place. There's not a time in your life when it is not appropriate to love one another. And he emphasizes this in verse 23. And this is a commandment, he said. It's not a suggestion. We're not spitballing thoughts here. We're, We're not throwing out ideas to see what sticks to the wall. This is a commandment, he said. That we believe in the name of His Son, Jesus Christ, and we love one another just as He commanded us. But I know people in my life, I know that there's times in my life that you can look at me and listen to what I say and watch what I do, and you can see what's most important to me. And there are times when worship is more important to me than anything else. And there are times in my life that what I teach and the doctrine that I teach is more important than anything else. You might listen to me at times and think politics is more important than anything else because I'll get heated up about it. John says there is nothing more important. Now, there may be some things that are just as important, but nothing is more important than the love that you show and express to one another love matters most love comes first say it with me Paul said it this way the greatest of these is love. it's essential number two showing love or the lack of showing love reveals ultimately what is in your heart verse 14 we know that we have passed out of death into life. That little expression, passed out, some of you probably about halfway through this lesson may feel like doing exactly that. That's not what it's talking about. The Greek there literally means, when the idea passed out, you have passed from one form of government to another form of government. You have gone from one thing or person who controls and governs your life to something else or another person who now controls your life. You have passed out of death. Sin and death once had ultimate control in your life and governed who you were. But you have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. How do you know when God governs your life? How do you know when God lives in you? Not by your doctrine or your worship and certainly not your politics. It's going to be your love. He's saying that is the proof. That is the evidence that God lives in you and he governs you. He'll say the same thing. Keep your your thumb at chapter 3, but in chapter 4, he'll say the same thing in just different words, verses 7 and 8. Beloved, let us love one another. For love is from God, and whoever loves is born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. So now we come back to chapter 3 in verse 15. Everyone who hates his brother I have wrestled with this verse. Chris, you probably have too. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. John doesn't give the full syllogism here, but let's follow his logic and read between the lines a little bit. John says, Where there is no love, there is hatred. Where there is hatred there will be murder where there is murder there will be no eternal life but I know what you're saying to the best of my knowledge I haven't murdered anybody me either but let's dovetail what John says with what Jesus says in a very familiar verse in Matthew chapter five, beginning at verse twenty-one. You've heard it said to those of you to those of you of old, you shall not murder. And whoever murders is liable to the judgment. But I say to you, anyone who is angry with his brother is liable to judgment. He keeps going to say, whoever insults you idiot you dunderhead whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council and whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire have you ever insulted someone because you're angry with them whoever hates is A murderer. It's been a while back. I was in the Exxon station at one of the corners there on Ray Street in Searcy, Arkansas. It was a cold morning. I had on my gloves. I had on my coat. I had on my hat. It was bitterly cold. The wind was blowing that morning, and I was pumping gas into my Buick. And then another smaller car pulled up just on the other side of the gas pumps from me. And they pulled in, it looked like a couple, and the man was driving, I presume his wife was in the passenger seat, and the gas tank was on her side. And the next thing I know is, as I'm pumping my gas, the wife gets out of the car on this cold, cold morning. Kind of makes me wish my wife had seen that herself, to see (laughs) that it could be done, but that's always my job but his the wife gets out and immediately it's obvious to me that she's struggling a little bit she's not quite sure what to do and she's fumbling with punching the buttons and and getting the the handle and she's not quite sure if she needs to uh, go pay first or if she can use the credit card She's just very confused and I'm watching it to which the husband the man inside I'm assuming it's a husband rolls down the window and begins to yell at her and to insult her and uses the expression idiot and then used a lot of other expressions to turn the air blue using words that I cannot use with you this morning. And he's yelling at her. And I watched this for just what seemed like an eternity. It may have just been several seconds, but I watched it long enough that I, as a disciple, I had to step in. And so I go on the other side of the pump, and I begin to help her, and she says to me under her breath, Oh, you better not. He will get angry with me. And I said, That's okay. He can deal with me. He keeps yelling and calling her every name he can think of. And I'm trying to help her, and I finally get tired of it myself. To which, and I promise you, this is the truth. I stick my head inside that window, and I said, you can stop yelling now, and you can remain in your warm car. We will get your gas for you. He never said another word. I don't think that guy goes to church. I don't think he reads his Bible. I don't think he prays. I don't think he loves God. Now, am I sure about all that? No, I'm not absolutely sure about that. But every piece of evidence that I see in his life tells me God does not live in him. And he does not love others. He doesn't even love his wife. What is it that is your evidence that you love God by the way you love others? John will say it in another passage. How can you say you love God whom you haven't seen when you don't love your brother whom you have seen? Jesus said it this way in John chapter 13 and verse 35, a new commandment. Actually, it's not really a new commandment. God's people were always commanded to love. What is new about this commandment is how you love. A new commandment that I give you to love one another the way I have loved you. The way Jesus loves people, that's how we are to love people. That's the newness in it. And they'll know we are Christians by our love, by our love singing. And they'll know we are Christians by our love. I haven't said anything that you have not heard many times before. I probably haven't said anything that Chris has not said better than I have said this morning. So let me share something else that may be a little bit new to you. Love is demonstrated through sacrificial kindness. And the word sacrificial is important here. And we don't even have to guess at what sacrificial kindness looks like. We have the perfect example of this in Jesus Christ. And John says this in verse 16. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us. And then he says, and we ought to lay down our lives for one another. Hmm. There are a lot of people in this auditorium for a group of people that are supposed to lay down their lives for one another. But that's, listen, he's not saying you literally give your life for another. That's probably not what you're ever going to be called upon to do. Many in our nation have been called upon to give their life in sacrifice for our nation and for the freedoms that we enjoy. So it has happened. Multiple people, countless people have done that. But you may not be asked to give your life for another but you are always going to be asked to give of your life to sacrifice something in your life for other people you may not be called upon to give your life literally but you are going to be called upon to give time in your life to others you're going to be called upon to give a helping hand to others to give up your pride for others to give up your anger, to give up your impatience so that you can show love to other people. And those are tough sacrifices to make. The truth is, if I can make a sacrifice so that I know that it is going to be published on the front page of the newspaper, or at least you'll mention it in the church bulletin, I'll probably do it. But to offer a, some form of sacrificial kindness and not a one of you may ever hear about it or know about it, that's a lot tougher for me to follow through. It's more difficult for me to sacrifice of my life when I know that only God and me will really ever know anything about. It. So I want you to think about the people you love most the people who are most important to you now ask yourself how am I demonstrating my love for them how am I showing sacrificial kindness to them now remember I said that love is not a feeling it's not you mothers who have gotten up in the middle of the night at 3 a.m. in the morning to change the wet diaper of a crying baby or to feed that little child, you never feel like doing that. But you do it. Because you love that little one. And if my daughter called me on a bitterly cold morning, just like the one we're experiencing this morning, if she called and said, Daddy... I have a flat tire. Okay, sweetie. I'll be there in a few minutes. I'll I'll grumble and break, and I'll put on my hat and the gloves and the hat, and I'll murmur all the way out the door because I don't feel like going to change a flat tire when it's this cold. But I'll do it because I love my daughter. You see, love is not a feeling. It is a decision that you make to put love into action. I really respect the quarterback for the Dallas Cowboys, Dak Prescott. In his rookie year, a couple of seasons ago, he had a phenomenal season. He had that long winning streak, and he took over the starting position over Tony Romo, which is not an easy thing to do. He was a fourth-round draft pick from uh, Mississippi. And now he is the quarterback for the Dallas Cowboys. But during that rookie season, when he was being touted as probably the most valuable player in the league that year, certainly the rookie of the year that year, he did an amazing thing, or at least what I think is an amazing thing, for an NFL football player to do. It was late in the season, and the Cowboys had a bye week. They weren't playing that week. And Dak Prescott got several offers to come to meetings to sign some multi-million dollar endorsement deals. He wasn't working. He wasn't playing. Come, and we're going to offer you some deals. And, And he said no to every one of those meetings. Now, certainly those deals have and will continue to come to Dak Prescott. But do you know what he did instead of signing multi-million dollar endorsement deals? In 2013, he lost his mother. And he made the decision that he was going to do something every day he can to make his mother proud. And so that week when he was being invited to sign all these endorsement deals, you know what he did instead? he went to visit his grandma. He spent time with his grandmother. Do you know why? Because he wanted to make his mama proud. The greater your love for those who matter most to you, the greater your willingness to sacrifice. For them. I may or may not ever be called upon to give my life for my wife. But you know, that's not ultimately what she wants from me every day. She wants me to dry the dishes. Or to empty out the dishwasher. Or to take out the trash. Or to go change that flat tire. All she wants and all I desire from her are those acts of sacrificial kindness to show one another how much we love each other. John goes on to say this in verse 17. Keep in mind we're talking about sacrificial kindness. But if anyone has this world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, How does the love of God abide in him? I like how the the message paraphrases this. It's not a translation. It's just a paraphrase. And the message says it this way. If you see your brother or sister in need and have the means to do something about it and turn a cold shoulder and do nothing, what happens to God's love? Poof. It disappears, and you made it disappear. Now, I know that's not what the Greek says, but that is the sentiment behind the words of John. When you choose not to help someone else who is in real need and you turn a cold shoulder to them, the love of God just disappears, and you made it happen. None of us have enough money or enough time or enough resources to meet the needs of every single person every single time. None of us. But every one of us has enough money and enough time and enough resources to help some people in some ways, some of the time. Last winter, on a Friday morning, it was snowing. It was, the streets were icy and snow. snow's probably built up about that deep. And it was still snowing heavy. When I came out of our, um, our neighborhood, and I'm driving along the hospital there in Searcy. How am I doing on time? So far okay? Yeah, I've been watching. I've only got 38 more minutes. Um <laughs> So I'm driving along the hospital, and there's a woman probably a 100 yards in front of me walking down the middle of the road, wrapped up in a blanket. And I look at her, and I surmise, did that woman just get out of the hospital? And and I keep driving a little closer, and she hears my car. She turns around. She sticks out her thumb to hitch a ride. Now, all I want to do is get to the office and get a little work done before the roads get much worse. And my wife was telling me, don't go to the office this morning. But I was in a hurry. And now this woman is slowing me down. And I get closer, and it looks like a hospital blanket, the kind of blanket that would be on a hospital bed. And she's wearing some boots and she has on, basically, pajamas, a, a pajama gown and she's wrapped in a blanket and that's all. And my first thought was, why didn't I turn down Moore Street and, and take a different route to the office? But I couldn't avoid her. She's in the middle of the road and she's, she, the snow is deeper than her ankles. And I pull alongside of her and I roll down the window. And I can hardly understand a word she says because she is sobbing and she is so emotional. And I'm not understanding a word as she says except she just got out of the hospital and no one would pick her up and she's hungry. And I said, get in. And I take her across Ray Street and we go to Hardee's and I leave her in my car that's running and it's warm and I go inside to get her a good breakfast and I call my wife. And I say, Lail, you got to get down here. I've got a woman in my car. i picked her up. I don't understand. Well, what's going on? I don't know. I don't understand. What's her name? I couldn't make it out. I couldn't understand anything this woman was saying. I said, will you come, and, and we're going to leave Hardee's. Will you come and meet us at the corner uh, there by the hospital in the Arby's parking lot? And, and we'll decide what to do with her. So my wife immediately meets us at Arby's and we get in there. And so Lael uh, gets this woman and me in her car, and we start to drive to a little town outside of Circe called Judsonia. That's where she wants to go. And we're hearing more of her story. She tells us about this convoluted family that she's a part of, very dysfunctional. And she and her mother had an argument in her car, in her mother's car, and her mother demanded that she get out of the car, and when she was getting out of the car, her mother drives away and begins to drag her daughter, and that's why she had injuries. And she was in the hospital being treated for her injuries, and she spent one day there, and then they dismissed her, but she had no place to go, and no one would come pick her up from her family. So she stole a blanket off of one of the beds in a room that was empty, and she found one of those consult rooms, and she spent the night in that room until she was discovered the next morning, and they asked her to leave. And I happened to come along when she has been kicked out of the hospital, wrapped in a blanket, walking down the road in snow. Her name was Christina. And she needs to go to Judsonia, and she goes to a place where she thinks her husband is his parents' house, and we take her to a very small kind of dilapidated house, and I go up and knock on the door. I'm there by myself, and a gentleman comes to the door, and I find out that this is her father-in-law, and I explain the situation. He's very kind, and he immediately takes her in. The truth is, I didn't sacrifice very much. The cost of a hearty's meal, a little time and a trip to Judson. All we tried to do in what little sacrifice we gave that morning was to make sure that a person in need was fed and was someplace warm. I've never seen her since. I've never seen her again. But I hope she knows one thing from that morning. She was loved. And Jesus loved. One more thing in closing. Verse 18. Love is an action. It is not an emotion. Because no one felt less. No one felt more. I just, I, I could not have felt less um, um, desiring to help this woman than that morning when it was snowing and I had work at the office to do. No one felt like helping less than I did that that morning. Verse 18. He says, dear children. The ESV says, little children. Let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. Love is something you do It is not something you feel. Love is something you do. It is not something you say. Love is something you do, even when it is inconvenient and it is uncomfortable to do. Why do we love? Because God first loved us. And it's in Romans chapter 5, verses 8 and 9, where God demonstrated His love for us. He showed the evidence. He, He showed how much He loves us, that while we were yet sinners, Christ Jesus died for us. And he goes on to say, since therefore we have been justified by His blood, much more shall we be saved from the wrath of God. But God showed how much he loved us. Now, there is an anger that God has toward those of us who are sinners. But God showed his love for us so that we could escape his wrath. And what he asks of each one of us is that we would demonstrate that same love to others so that they, too, might be justified by the blood of Jesus Christ and escape his wrath also. It's been a joy to be with you. We're going to talk about forgiveness in the worship hour, and you've been a delight to talk to, and your attentiveness has really encouraged me. And I just want to uh, close right now with just a, a prayer with you and ask for a blessing on this congregation. Father, we're grateful for this weekend. I'm thankful for the invitation to be here, Father. I pray that some of my words can be used to encourage others in this church to be more like the church you call us all to be. Father, thank you for the Oldham Lane Church of Christ, for their love for you, their love for others. Father, we thank you uh, that Jesus lives and dwells and is a part of this church. And, Father, we pray that as a people... We will do the things that are right and necessary for us to do in this place. But when we leave here, we will be people who will demonstrate mercy. And we will be people who put our love into action. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.